Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello again. My Truth Talk for today is called The Power of Prayer. And I've called it that because it's such a popular expression among evangelical Christians and others. But as you listen to me, and as you think about what I'm going to say now, you will understand that I don't believe that prayer has any innate power at all. I want to repeat that. I don't believe that prayer in itself has any innate power at all. Now, I've spoken and written on the subject before. And if you're interested in a fairly recent article, there's one called What is Prayer? And you'll find it by just searching on my website, truthistheword.com. Truthistheword.com. In that, I briefly set out two major causes of prayerlessness in the church. But now today, in what I have to say now, I want to deal more comprehensively with why I believe that there's no inherent power in prayer and what the implications are for using the expression, the power of prayer. You know, a, a quarter seldom goes by in my life without me being engaged in, finding out, being asked to participate, whatever, in some organized form of mass prayer campaign. Just the other day, a group of passionate Christians from the USA were calling all believers to pray in unity as one for President Trump that he would prevail in the face of what to them has seemed a election fraud. Here in South Africa, we've had several mass prayer meetings recently. We've prayed for rain, we've prayed for the condi political condition of our nation, we've prayed most recently for farm murders and those poor farmers. Now, let me state up front. I'm in favor of praying together. I'm in favor of prayer gatherings of any size. But perhaps my reasons for being in favor are not shared by the folk who organize these events or these campaigns. So here's the question that I ask and try and answer. Why are these events or campaigns organized in the first place? And why do we, you and me, why do we participate in them? Now, you know, sometimes the appeal is to fill a sports stadium. Let's all come together in a stadium or a farm. Let's fill it up with hundreds of thousands, even nearly a million Christians. And let's all pray simultaneously together in unity. There are other times when a sort of a chain thing goes out which says, pass this on if we can all just pray at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock or whenever you've got time. But here's the theme, let's all be praying for the following. Now, whatever the causes and whatever the methodology, the principles and the motivation are usually similar. And here is a question again that I ask. Do we believe that more people praying will equate to more effective results? Are we organizing or participating in these, these large prayer events? Because we truly believe that if enough people pray, that there will be better results. And if we do believe this, then what are the implications of this? Okay, let me give you three things to consider, three alternatives. Implication one would be that maybe God will be obliged or even compelled to act if enough people pray. Two, that God will be more inclined to answer our prayers if a lot of people agree together. Or three, the act of praying actually releases spiritual energy, power, 
and which in itself changes reality. Now, most of the people that I know would reject the first offer, the first option. I don't think too many people would believe that God is bound by our prayers, although, you know, some do. I think most people would ponder carefully on the second, but so many will secretly believe the third option. Now, of course, not you, right? Not me. Well, then, why, why do we send out emails to as many people as we can, or WhatsApp messages and ask people to pray by the hundred, sometimes by the thousand, if we're sick or a loved one is desperately ill or injured or, or jobless? Why do we do this? Why do we need so many people if we don't believe that there's some magical power released when we pray? You know, we've heard the expression, the power of prayer, so often, and from so many sources, that it's actually quite hard not to believe that it's true. However, and here is a burning question, does the Bible teach that prayer releases or initiates spiritual power? Does the Bible teach this? Did Jesus teach this or model this? Did he say it? Did he do it? And you know, if the answer is no and no, no to both questions, then tell me, on what basis do we believe that prayer has power? The Bible as a whole, the witness of the early church, and the teachings and example of the Lord Jesus Christ all present prayer as communion with God. No more, no less. Sure, God has infinite power. And it's true, He does sometimes use this power to change reality in response to the prayer of His people, either one or many. God has the power, but prayer in itself does not. You see, when we pray, we express our dependence on God. We ask Him to act on our behalf, or we petition and intercede for other people. And God is truly powerful. And through prayer we communicate with a truly powerful God. I want to say that again. God is powerful. And through prayer we communicate with the all-powerful God. Now, let's try and get to the heart of the misconception that prayer has power. And the heart of it is actually the human heart. And by heart I mean self, ego and emotion. You see, we choose to believe, I think, that prayer has power because then we feel powerful when we pray. We do the business. We achieve the goal. We somehow believe that we are the important factors in the equation. And frankly, God is just an approving spectator to the great triumph of our prayer. Sometimes we believe in the power of prayer because we are desperate and we feel helpless. And I understand that. We say to ourselves, what can I do? Perhaps if I can pray with enough other people, then I won't feel so helpless and out of control. I'll feel that I'm actually doing something about this condition that is so far out of my control. You know, whatever the motivation, I have to say, the idea is just wrong. We speak to God, and He may well respond in several ways. He might answer us. He might do exactly what we've asked of Him, powerfully. But He also may empower us by His Spirit 
to make the difference we are expecting him to make. Let's get to the bedrock of the issue. What is the biblical basis for prayer? Well, throughout the scriptures, prayer is presented as communion with God. Now I'm using the word communion rather than communication, because you see, prayer is not always verbal. And it sometimes includes worship of some kind and acts of some kind. And in essence, it's being of one heart and one mind with God and with each other in his presence. It's communion. Just consider the following text. I've just selected a few from a vast array of scriptural texts. 2 Corinthians seven fourteen to 15 Oh boy, we've heard this one so often in our nation. It reads, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Jeremiah 29.12 Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Matthew 6.6 6. When you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father. John 17.1 says, After Jesus had says this, he looked towards the heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And lastly, Acts 4, verses 23 and 24. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. Now please take note, in all of these examples, and in many, many, many more examples, it is we who pray. It is believers who pray. And the one who is prayed to is Almighty God. It's communion. It's communication. It's from us to Him. It's not some formulaic or super spiritual or even pseudo magical release or generation of power. It's communion with the One who is all powerful. However, there is one instant in Scripture that I can find, and a lot of people latch onto this as a reason why they should teach that prayer in itself has power, and that's James. Chapter 5, verse 16, and verse 15, but I'll come to that in a minute. James 5, verse 16. In the NIV version, it reads as follows. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. All right. Might seem to be an exception, but it actually isn't. Because if you want to rightly, if we want to rightly understand James 5, 16, we've only got to do one thing. Just put it into its proper context, which is so blindingly obvious in the text itself. The context is the forgiveness of sin, not the release of power. The Amplified Bible translates verses 15 and 16 as the following. Confess to one another therefore your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available 
and dynamic in its working. Clear, right? The source of the available power is God, not the act of praying. There is power available. It is in God's hands. We ask Him, and should He choose to, He places that power in us, or goes before us in power, or works things by His miracle power, or anoints us so that we can act powerfully in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm aware that some teachers also grab hold of the previous verse in James 5 to try and validate the intrinsic power of prayer. Because it says there, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. But it ends in that verse by saying, the Lord will raise him up. So the translation, make the sick person well, used by the NIV, is a little bit misleading, I must tell you. Because the Greek that's underlying this more accurately translates as save, not just heal. So this is why the Holman's Christian Standard Bible translates this verse as follows. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, irrespective of the underlying Greek word, irrespective of the particular way of translating that into the receptor language, our language English, the key phrase here is, the Lord will raise him up. Not the prayer will raise him up. Not the one praying will raise him up. But the Lord God will raise him up. If God is the recipient of our prayers, and it is He who can and often does respond with power, then why do we gather together to pray? Is it actually valid that we should gather together in corporate prayer? Our answer is, yeah, I believe it is important. And it's important for the following reasons, at least for the following reasons. One, when we come together, in prayer, we join together with one heart, one mind, one purpose. We express our common concerns and we present our requests to God as a people, not just as a bunch of disparate individuals. Secondly, we sometimes find full expression as a group than we could possibly achieve individually. You know why? Because we can agree with what other people are praying. We can add to what other people are praying. We can participate together in an expression which goes beyond which we could maybe conceive of ourselves individually. Thirdly, we are encouraged by being together in prayer. We are encouraged by knowing that others share our concerns, that others believe in the Almighty God, and that He responds to the prayers of His people. And lastly, together, when we come together, we constitute in some wonderful form the spiritual temple of the Most High God. And often, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, as the temple of God, there is such a powerful, almost tangible presence of God, that in this environment of His glory, we can often receive from Him, and hear from Him, words. And we can often receive from Him an anointing of His power, that we just couldn't when we are alone in prayer. All right, some final questions. Yeah, I know I'm as full of questions as a four-year-old, but please indulge me one last time. If you believe what I've just said, and, and hopefully you're going to go and test everything I've said against the Scriptures, then I want to challenge you. Are you in future going to, one, 
desist from loosely using the term the power of prayer. 2. Are you going to cease attempting to use prayer as some form of spiritual weapon directed against the enemy or whatever? 3. Are you going to direct your prayers to God alone and depend on Him for a suitable response? And 4. Are you going to participate in group prayer meetings and in campaigns and in chain letters and the like for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons? Now, lastly, why is this whole matter so jolly important? Well, here's the reason. When we place ourselves individually or corporately as the source of power and prayer as the means of achieving powerful results, then we sin. You see, self-centeredness and self-reliance have from the time of Genesis chapter 3 onwards been the prime sin. I want to be even blunter. This is actually the sin of idolatry, self-idolatry. When we believe that our prayers generate or release power, then we relegate God to an indirect sponsor at best, or to a re reluctant bystander at worst. Furthermore, when we speak, teach and model this misconception of the power of prayer, we communicate error. And we actually encourage self-idolatry. Look, please, 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 test what I've said here against the scriptures, but and specifically against what Jesus taught and modelled. You know, set aside all these books and videos and audios by Pastor So and So or Doctor What What, and go straight to the source of truth. And the source of truth is Jesus, and the written word of God, the Bible. Lastly, I would be really happy to interact with you because it's an important topic and if you, if you want to clarify or take issue, then please just drop me an email and we can communicate through that means. You'll find my email address or there's a contact form on my website, truthistheword.com. That's one word, truthistheword.com. And I'd be delighted to interact with you productively around this because it's an important topic. May God be with you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth Is The Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, Truth Talks.